runs 17 different directions, and they're all the wrong way. And I don't have my podium, so we're just going to pretend that it's there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Give uh, Sandy a nice round of applause, everybody, for uh, bailing me out there. Okay, if I seem a little angry today, I am, but I'm not angry at you. I'm angry because our marriages are in trouble and we don't do anything about it. I, I'm angry that we kind of live in a, in a marital bliss of oblivion. And one is hurting and the other one has secret pain. And husbands and wives don't love or honor, respect or cherish. And, and you just kind of roll on through life. And then as long as there's kids at home... And you have ball games to go to or soccer games to fly to and all this other kind of stuff. And then one day the kids are gone. And you sit across the table from the woman or the man that you gave your heart and life to ever how many years ago. And you realize you have little or nothing in common now without the children's activity to drive you. So then husbands or wives tend to lose interest. Husbands and wives tend to then throw themselves in their work or some kind of meaningful effort that, that tries to provide some kind of reasoning for their existence on this earth. And all the while, and sometimes we even throw ourselves into the Lord's work, using that as a, as a kind of a shield to think that God's going to take care of our marriage and bless our marriage even though we're growing more distant and more distant away from our spouse. So I may be fighting for your marriage this morning. I don't know. But I am fighting for the sanctity of marriage. One man, one woman in a covenant relationship with God. And some of you this morning may need that new start. And a new re- you just may need to hit the reset button and start again with your, your relationship with one another. So I'm going to kind of fast forward. I'm going to just kind of catch you up because you got part one last week. You're getting part two this week. But let me just kind of catch you up on where we're at. Turn in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is actually talking about, and the anchor for chapter 5, verse 21 through 33, is found in Ephesians 5, 18, where it says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is talking about how to live a Spirit-filled life. He gives five characteristics of a Spirit-filled life, and the fifth one is found in verse 21. And verse 21 will say this, and it says, And furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before we get into this, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. Before we get to anything about the head of the household or husbands loving your wives, he sets this biblical principle for the church on how to live a spirit-filled life. There's this attitude of mutual acceptance, giving up preferences where the principle of right and wrong is not involved, but you give up the principle... Or you give up the right, but you stand on the principle. The problem is most of us don't know what principles are, and we don't want to give up our right, and that's where a lot of 
a lot of fussing and fighting come in. He says, and furthermore, submit to one another. So he talks about this whole idea of living a spirit-filled life, and it comes in through mutual submission. And then Paul attacks three things in his culture, in his day, that had been so abused by the lack of submitting to one another. Marriage, the husband and the wife, fathers and sons in Ephesians 6, and then owners and, and slaves in and, and Ephesians 4 through 6, or 6, 4 through 6. Now, we don't have slaves today, but you do work for Ford or Chrysler or GM or whoever it is that you work for. And they are not your owner, but they are your employees. So we can certainly cast that in an employee-employer relationship. Paul is talking about this whole thing of submitting to one another. And so we're going to read scripture together today, much like we did last week. We're going to read verse 21 together. Then we'll ask the guys to be silent. The ladies, you'll read until I tell you to, to stop. Just submit to that, okay? <laughs> no pun intended. And then the guys... You'll love reading the last part of this because I got a feeling your wives, they should just be amening all over the place, all right? All right, so let's read together. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, let's say that again. If you want to know how to live a spirit-filled life, this is one of the five things that Paul tells us to do. Let's read it together. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ladies only, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. Verse 24 says, as the church submits to Christ, so you should submit to your own husbands in everything. Thank you, ladies. Gentlemen, would you pick up the narrative in verse 25? For husbands... This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Men, don't wilt on me here. And we are members of his body. Verse 31, and the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one this is a great mystery, but this illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Verse 33, again, ladies, so again I say, I'm sorry, let's just all read verse 33. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I ask your blessing to the reading of your word. It's the most powerful thing of anything that we will say in this message today. It is sharp, it is living, it is active, it can cut to the very core of our marriages and dissect and shear away where, where we are lacking and where we need to step up and improve in our, in our marriages. So I pray that you would bless your word in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to back up to verse 21 again. 
In verse 21, it says, submit to one another. Now, what does the word submit mean? The word submit comes from the Greek word uh, hupatasio, and it means, I always, you know, anytime, we're going to have a new rule here at Kirby. Anytime I quote a word in the Greek or Hebrew, and I don't do that a whole lot, but I just, just amen that I threw a Greek word out at you, all right? So you're going to practice, all right? Uh, hupotasio. I love it. And it simply means to place, to arrange, to rank under, to subject, to subordinate, to obey, to submit to one's control. But here's where I think verse 21 lands because this is the attitude. It's not only a a definition, but it's also an attitude of the word. It means to yield to one's admonition or advice. To yield to one's admonition or advice. It was a favorite word of the Apostle Paul. He used it almost 25 times. And it includes this hard attitude of yielding, not blind obedience. Yielding to one's admonition or one's advice. When submission between Christians is referred to in the New Testament, it generally means an open attitude of mutual acceptance sharing ideas, and yielding to the desire of the other, not mindless obedience. Never would one be expected to blindly, to blindly obey every other Christian. Yet in verse 21, it says we're to submit ourselves to one another. So the truest sense of the word, listen, you got to listen to this. The truest sense of the word describes the Christian grace of yielding one's preference to another, not principle. But preference. Got the idea? Preference. Not principle. Preference. Where principle is involved? No. We stand on the principles of God's word. Where just personal preference is involved? Oh my goodness. Doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul then deals with three areas of mutual submission. And he starts off by dealing with marriages. And I just kind of want to remind you, there was the Jewish wedding, there was Jewish marriages, Greek marriages, and Roman marriages. The Jewish marriages were uh, believed that everybody should be married. They often ignored the Old Testament law. The women were, were subjugated and thought little more than if even a slave. Uh, they were just... It was easy to get a divorce. If she burnt your dinner, then you could get rid of her. If you saw somebody prettier than her, you could get rid of her. I mean, she had no no grounds. If she left the house inappropriately dressed with her head uncovered, you could get rid of her. And so she was looked more as a commodity rather than a cherished loved one. And the general, the women were considered inferior to men and held in very low esteem. Now, I want to say that some of that teaching has cropped into, has cropped into, has crept into our, our heritage as, as a church. And women have been thought to be unequal. That is not true. In the eyes of God, there is absolute equality between men and women. Matter of fact, Paul would say this way, in Christ, there's no Jew or Greek, male nor female, Bond or free, he's saying that we're all equal in Christ Jesus. And while we are all equal, we have different roles and responsibilities. 
For example, my role, and I love this role. I love our church. I love what I get to do. But my role is to be the chief communicator of the church. Other times, guys will speak. But, man, I, I do it most of the time for 23 years. You're probably tired of hearing it by now. But I'm just going to keep doing it. But that's my role. It's my responsibility. June, June offered would just flip out if I said, June's got the message for us today. Come on, Sister June. She would head for the door. Others would go... All right, I don't know what he's up to, but somewhere between here and there, if I were to call on our deacon, Brother Gerard, he would certainly, you know, start walking up here thinking that either A, the rapture would come, <laughs> that something miraculous would happen, or I would change my mind, you know, before. I'm just simply saying that's my role. And in marriage, there are roles and responsibilities that do not affect equality. Got that? It does not affect equality in this church that I'm the pastor. God loves us all the same. We are all on equal footing in the church. And Paul draws the conclusion or then makes the analogy and the comparison that in marriage, in Christ, we are all equal in the sight of God. That would be a good place to amen there, people. So we're all equal. All right? And so that was the Jewish way. The Greek way is just kind of looked at marriage as a way to have children to inherit the family business. And so 35-ish-year-old men would marry 14 to 15-year-old-ish young ladies. They would have their children, but they believed that those, by marrying that young, that they could teach them to run the business like it should be run. And so that's how the Greeks looked at it, is merely a business arrangement. Then you have the Romans. The Roman women had a little bit more freedom. They had a little bit more uh, status, had a little more clout. They could own property and, and do other things, but, and many were well-educated, and some even reached positions of of government kind of serving in the government of that day but rest assured that the power in the home the power in the home rests with the husband now by the way can i just kind of let you know in a christian marriage where the power in the home resides it resides under the leadership of our lord and savior jesus christ that is where the power resides you say, well, I'm the head of the castle, or king of the castle. We'll talk about that in just a second. So we talk to the wives about loving and honoring your husband. And that the thing that, ladies, your husband needs more than anything else. Over 82% of the men, when surveyed consistently over the last five years, they have chosen honor over love. Can you imagine that? That doesn't compute with you. You would choose love over honor, but most men... Chose, overwhelmingly chose honor over love. By the way, for the husband is the head of the household, right? And I just want to make the point again, gentlemen, if you are the head, you have to work in mutual submission because your wife is the neck. And the head doesn't go anywhere without the neck. They have to work together. Mutual submission. So wives... Honor, love, and honor your husbands. And then let's go to the husbands. Husbands, here's what you're to do. 
love and cherish your wife. Amen? No, no, no. Love and cherish your wife. You're still not getting it. See, I, I see, here's what some of you were doing. You're amen in me, but you're cutting your, wife, your eyes over to your wife and seeing if she's really listening to you. There ought to be no doubt. Matter of fact, when I say, husbands, you ought to love and, and cherish your wife, you ought to, this is what I'm telling you, this is what you ought to do. You ought to amen me, and you ought to put your arm around her and whisper in her ear, yeah, baby. There ought to be no doubt. Listen, there ought to be never a doubt in your wife's heart or mind or will that you love her and that you cherish her. She should never go to work a day. You should never go off to work today. You should never go to sleep at night. And her wonder, does he really love me? Does he really care? You know, is it, is it just kind of getting old hat? He says, husbands... Love your wives. And then he gives us a couple of illustrations to help us to understand this. And guys, I'm, I'm just telling you, Paul sets the bar for loving and cherishing extremely high. All right? So the first one is, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. Do you get it? Nowhere in the text does Paul encourage you to exercise your headship over your wife. But gentlemen, over and over, three times in verses 25 through 33, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love and cherish your wives. Husbands, love your wife. Why? Because, gentlemen, one of the hardest things you and I will do over a lifetime of marriage is to love our and cherish our wives in a meaningful way and to communicate our love and the way we cherish her in a meaningful way that communicates love and being cherished to her. Got that? He says we're to love her as Christ loved the church. He tells you that you're to love your wife. Just as Jesus loved the church. And how did he love the church? Selflessly, completely, passionately, sacrificially, totally. Matter of fact, there wasn't one thing that the church needed that Christ didn't provide. There, no, no matter the sacrifice, the church needed a message. So the word became flesh, John 1.1, 1, 1, and dwelt among us. The church needed peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The church needed hope, and he would pass on hope. The church needed forgiveness of sin, so he loved us so much that he died on the cross so that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. He totally gave himself completely, passionately, selflessly up for the church. And men, that's the way Paul says the Bible says that the Holy in Spirit instructs the Apostle Paul to write, says that's the way you are to love your spouse. It's the way you're to love her. Totally. Passionately. Completely. Just over the top. Jesus laid his side his preferences, not his principles. 
And he gave himself up to the church to sanctify it. And to clean her up by the truth of the Holy Spirit. In short, he didn't just love the church. He cherished the church. The goal of Christ's love for the church was that he might present the church to himself. That's an interesting phrase. If you look at it there in the scriptures, that he might present his church to himself. This only thing I could come comparable to this is you know that I am not a very good gift giver. It's in my resume. So my wife now for Christmas, she will, I just, presents just randomly appear under the tree with her name on it. And she will go and buy her own gift, put her name on it, and then we play this Christmas game. I give it to her on Christmas Day and act like I gave it to her. Jesus loves you and I so much that the greatest gift he could ever get and that you could ever get, his, your gift is to be in the presence of the Redeemer and your gift is, his gift is to have the presence of the redeemed. Together. The idea is he passionately loves you. He didn't do any of this for you to put you on a shelf, to put you aside. No, he did this so he could present us to himself. And then he goes on to describe how we can, how he wants to present us to himself. Matter of fact, look at Ephesians. It's not going to come up on the screen, but just look back to Ephesians chapter 5, where we're to present washed, glorious, verse 27, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, to be holy and without fault. You got the idea? In splendor and spotless and wrinkle-free at any such sense. By the way, guys, you are not to add wrinkles to her face. You are to take them away from her face. Men, are you getting this? Just as Christ made the church better, we are to make our wives a better person spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and socially. That's what I believe it means when you are the head of the household. Not that you have a scepter and a diadem and you rule from your throne at the kitchen table. But it's that over a lifetime of marriage with you as a man of God under the headship of Jesus Christ, submitting yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ, leading your home in a spiritual pattern that you can look at your wife. That you can look at your wife. And you can say, you know what? Because of our relationship, not only am I a better person, but I've helped make her a better Christian. And a, and a better all-around person. And it's funny, we kind of look at marriage as what we can get out of it. That's not the biblical view of marriage at all. It's pouring into the other one. It's pouring in. Guys, I've been to enough marriage conferences 
and men's conferences and, and preached on this long enough. I know this to be a true statement. In fact, I'm getting... I know what they're talking about. The first time I ever heard it was by Bill McCartney, who started Promise Keepers way back in the day. And his pastor was preaching. He said, gentlemen, I can tell what kind of a husband you are by looking into the eyes of your wife. And when I heard that statement, I thought, well, that's kind of an audacious statement for a pastor to make. And Bill McCartney looked over at his wife. And the wife, full of life and vibrancy and joy that he had married in his youth, in his words, was now just very hollow. And that's when he walked away from football and started Promise Keepers. As a byproduct of pouring in to his wife, going back and keeping his promises he made on his wedding day. You're to love her, gentlemen, as Christ loved the church totally, sacrificially, selfishly, passionately. You're to love your wife in a meaningful way. You're not just to be two people sharing the same household. You're married, two married people living together, acting like single people. That's not marriage. God gave you to her and, and her to you so that you could complete each other. That's what the the meaning of the word help me in the King James in Genesis chapter 2 means. And God created a help me for Adam. Ladies, that means your men couldn't make it without you. They need you. But they don't need you to compete with them. They need you to help complete them. And men, you to help complete her. Just as Christ helps us to be whole. You know, love your wife in a meaningful way to communicate love to her. Can I just tell you some things that probably doesn't communicate love to her? Watching ESPN all the time. Knowing I had to preach this message today, you know what show I watched last night with my wife? Say yes to the dress. I think we can make a virtual reality show about anything after watching Yes to the Dress. Going through drive through windows saying yes to the Big Mac. I'm not sure. Probably watching ESPN doesn't communicate love to her. This idea, men, and it's, 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 it's not only... It, it, it's rooted in Puritanism. Where the men didn't really have to say how they felt because that's what men don't do. Men don't say how they feel. By the way, if we're to love Christ, or we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, it, Christ made it pretty clear how he felt about us. Didn't he? He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He, he laughed, certainly, as he would go to the different gatherings. He went to the people who were shunned by society. He went to the, 
to the helpless and the hopeless. I'm just simply telling you, Jesus makes it absolutely clear. And by the way, he let you know what he was thinking. He didn't pull any punches. So we come to see where Christ, where we're to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And men, when meaningful love is missing from your wife, she gets spotted. She gets blemished. She gets hurt. And when your wife is not feeling love, I guarantee you she's going to act out. And she's going to act out in a dishonoring way. So now you're not getting the honor you want because she's not getting the love she needs. And then we just start this cycle that just keeps going because when you're not getting love then she will when she's not getting love she'll feel dishonored when you're not getting honored then you're not going to give love and it's this cycle that just keeps going and going and going and spiraling out of control and the faster you go down the spiral it's kind of like the penny and those you know kind of wishing well spiral wishing well things man the faster it just it goes faster and faster and faster or at least it looks that way by the way, there's one other way that you're supposed to love your wife, gentlemen. You're supposed to love wife as Christ loved the church, but you're also to love her as you love your own body. Now, this is not vain glory here. This is just reality talking. How do I know that each of you love your body? If you ate breakfast this morning, say amen. And this, yeah, for the men. It, it, by the way, donuts at Kirby and coffee does count as breakfast on Sunday mornings, all right? If you took a shower over the weekend, I am talking to men. Got to give a little latitude there. Would you amen? If you brush your teeth, gentlemen, would you amen? So you care about yourself. You say, oh, you know, that's just stuff I do. It's just natural. It's just such a part of me. I, I couldn't tell you the last time I didn't have a shower on Saturday night to get ready for a church on Sunday. But Paul is simply saying that, gentlemen, the way that you care for your body is so natural to you. It ought to be just as natural as loving your wife. After so many years of marriage, you shouldn't have to go, what do I need to do to show my love for her? Now, you still got to engage and be aware where they're at. Because the older our wives get, you know, things just kind of change. And you're going to have that discussion with your wife later today. And you have to find those ways to commute meaningful love to you. But you ought to love her just like you love your own body. It ought to just be so natural. The Bible says men will nourish and cherish their bodies. It simply means that they take time to care for themselves. They eat, sleep, exercise, plan, work, relax. Watch ESPN, watch ESPN, watch ESPN, go golfing, watch ESPN. Men will take care to care for themselves. And that's all Paul is saying. Men take care to care, to love, and to cherish your spouse, your wife. If she likes holding your hand when you go through a mall, and you know, I don't really like holding hands. Well, you're the head of the household, so let me tell you what you can do. You put your foot down and swallow your pride and hold her hand. You 
you say, well, it's just, man, pastor, you're just trying to make this love of my wife stuff tough. Hello? Marriage takes work every single day. Just like you take care of your body every single day. You eat, you clean, you brush your teeth, you, take, you do maintenance issues on your body. You do things to invest in your marriage daily. If you take a day off of investing in your marriage, gentlemen, as heads of the household, I guarantee you there is somebody who's waiting to get his foot in the door. And that's Satan. Go back to chapter 4, I think it's verses 16 and 17. So husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, as you love yourself. And, and by the way, the word nourish means to nourish up to maturity. It's the same word found in Ephesians 6 where it talks about training up a child in the way that it should go. When we talk about and on baby dedications, uh, we, we use the phrase at raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word nurture comes from this phrase where it means to nourish them up to maturity in Christ, to provide tender care, to provide tender care. Husbands, we're to love and to cherish our wives. Keep her love warm to you, which is another kind of uh, meaning of the word nourished. Keep warm. Husbands, we're to love and cherish your wife. You're to keep her love warm for you, to cherish her with tender love. And I'm convinced that a husband needs most is love and honor. And what a wife needs most is being loved and being cherished. But then he ties it all together in verse 33. Verse 33 just says this. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must honor her husband. When I do premarital counseling, I hammer this passage. If your son or daughter, or if you're planning on getting married, I'm telling you, I hammer this thing over and over and over as the foundation of a loving and enduring home. That if a wife will honor and love and honor her husband, if a husband will love and cherish their wives, oh, they're going to be rough spots still along the way because you're two people coming together into one household from different backgrounds and different likes and different tastes and food and TV shows and blah, 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 and on it goes. But I'm just simply saying, if that is the foundation... Love and honor. And then if you lead her like Christ has led you, she will gladly follow that type of man. So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment?